You're listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell, bringing theology to life. Let's get into Psalm 111. It says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. In the company of the upright and in the assembly, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. So this psalm starts off with a simple declaration, you could say, maybe command, praise the Lord. I would say this is the highest work of mankind. The best thing that you can ever do is to praise the Lord. He says, I will give thanks. And that's almost like a synonym. Praising the Lord involves giving thanks a lot of the time. But he says he will do it, look, with a whole heart. The very interesting phrase in the scripture. We understand the phrase, you've done something half-heartedly. Don't, it means with not, not with full effort. Your mind's not really into it. You're half committing. Maybe you're being made to do it so you don't do a proper job. Praising the Lord should be done with a whole heart. That's the point here. With everything you have, your longings, your desires, your pains, your hurts, your frustrations, whatever they are, you praise the Lord with your whole heart. And we find this again all through the scriptures. Let me read you 1 Chronicles 28. This is uh, David giving advice to his son Solomon. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. I love the way he combines those two. A whole heart and a willing mind. You see, if your mind's not willing, then your heart at some point is not going to be wholeheartedly given over to it. But if, you're, if your whole heart and your mind is willing, then you're going to enter into the fullness of service to the Lord. And then it says, for the Lord searches hearts. You see, the Lord knows where your heart is. We fool ourselves, don't we, when we try and pretend we're doing something with a whole heart or we're not doing it to our full ability. We may be able to show other people that we, it looks like we're doing that, but the Lord knows our hearts. We're only fooling ourselves. But if we want to enter into that blessing that we get when we praise the Lord wholeheartedly, we just need to commit ourselves to him. We need to have that willingness, that voluntary army, if we go back to the last psalm, willing to serve him. The Lord understands the every intent of the thoughts of our hearts. You may notice in the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings that constitute a huge part of the text of the Old Testament. It says that they are to be offered with a whole heart. I find this fascinating. 1 Chronicles 29, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. That's 29 verse 9. And King David rejoiced greatly. And if I could extrapolate from this a little bit, I find it interesting. Their offering was to be done with a whole heart. And remember, the Lord knows the heart. So you can go from that, that if it wasn't done with a whole heart, then it was probably one of those sacrifices the Lord was not too interested in. And when David saw people offering their sacrifices to the Lord with a whole heart, he rejoiced greatly. Now let's translate this into New Testament language. What is our offering in the New Testament? We offer sacrifice. A few times you'll find this talked about in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And that ties that back in with exactly the same sentiment that's just been expressed in the first verse of Psalm 111. Praise the Lord, give thanks to his name with my whole heart. That is our spiritual sacrifice. The praise of our lips, we're giving thanks to God and we do it with a whole heart. I love that. 
Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. One of my favourite verses in the entire Bible here. They are great. The works of the Lord are splendid. They are majestic and they are to be studied and delighted in. Now, studied is one of these phrases that has a lot of depth, a lot of meaning. It could have a connotation of gazing at something. And they say the more you gaze at something, the more you see. Like the longer you sit there and look at a painting, the more you notice its detail. Have you ever had that experience? The longer you look at something, you notice new parts of it that you haven't seen before. You gaze at it, you investigate it, you make a pursuit of understanding it. And why do we do all of this? Because we delight in them. The works of God, that is. More specifically, we delight in the one who did those works. We delight ourselves in the Lord. Therefore, we study his works. If any of you know my my theology and apologetics, if you've got one of my bookmarks, you'll notice that this is the verse that I use for that tagline for that ministry because I, I just love this concept. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Now, this speaks in one sense of his creation, the works of creation, that's a massive part, the beauty that we find in nature. And there's many interesting ways this is played out in the culture. Uh, I've probably shared this with you before at some point, but if, if you go down to Cambridge University today, you go to the Cavendish Laboratory. This is where Watson Crick's discovered the DNA double helix. This is where protons and neutrons were discovered. There's something 29 Nobel Prizes have come out of that laboratory in Cambridge. As you walk through the entrance to it, you'll find two engraved doors. And across the top of these doors, you'll find this psalm, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Now, they are on the old doors. Around the 70s, the the laboratory was moved to a new building. Even though at this time there weren't really the Christian element of it had gone, they still decided that they wanted to take that psalm and they put it above the new building too, because it was put there at the behest of the first professor of the Cavendish lab, James Clark Maxwell, one of the probably more influential on physics than... Einstein, some people would argue, or at least a a forebearer or an equal to Einstein, he was a firm born-again believer, and he greatly believed that his science, his physics, was searching out the great works of God to understand more of his character. And that's why he chose this exact verse, and he had it put up there above the laboratory, and it is still there to this day. But I would say it's more than just looking at works in the sense of creation, and as powerful and as wonderful as they are, it is talking about works in the sense of his acts too. You see this in verse 4 where it talks about his graciousness and his compassionate nature, and then it immediately relates that to the covenant with Abraham. So his works are also in his moral attributes of which he makes these covenants with mankind. Let's let's just read the rest of the psalm. Verse 7, it says, The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent his redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So it says here, talking about his works of truth and justice. Again, these are moral attributes. It speaks of his eternal character and verse 9 it says he sent redemption so his works here are not just creation his work here is actually specifically speaking about his work of redemption understood at this time by the israelites of course to be the redemption of uh, the exodus from egypt and obviously we understand that the greater picture of that is our redemption 
from slavery to sin through Jesus Christ. These are all his works. These are the things we should be studying, we should be delighting ourselves in. All of these things, the creation, the works he's done to redeem us, where do we find the story of all of these? Revealed to us in the scriptures. So you could interpret this command as a command to study the scriptures because in them you find revealed to you the wonderful works of God. And therefore we should also be delighting in studying the word of God where we find the works of God. This is why I believe we want to be like Ezra. Ezra 7.10, he set his heart, and I bet that was a whole heart, not a half heart. It says he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it. Study, practice, teach, and you delight in all three of them. His works testify to how holy and awesome he is. That's what it says at the end of verse 9. Holy and awesome is his name. Therefore, we study. The more we study, we learn, we understand, we see that character, the attributes, the justice, the compassionate nature of our God, as it is worked out in the history of this real world that we can point to and look at and show the acts of our Savior. We can tell of the great redemption that he purchased for us as these great works. Our hearts will understand more of God. This is why I believe it ends with that very common refrain that you find throughout the Psalms, throughout the Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments and his praise endures forever. Do you remember the, when we just, in the last Psalm, the judgment that comes upon the earth, it said it was specifically because of those who violated his commandments. They did not have a good understanding. They did not choose wisely. It says, let us then delight in the works of the Lord. Let us commit ourselves to studying them personally as a church. This is why we spend so much time in the word of God, because it reveals to us the works of God, which reveals to us the character of God. And then our response should be that we too can praise the Lord and we too can proclaim holy and awesome is his name. Let's pray. Oh dear God, we give you thanks, Father. Just so much for the scriptures, for all the truth that they contain, for the revelation of your son, Lord. And I pray that every day that we walk with you, regardless of whether we're going through the valleys or we're on the mountaintops, Lord, it would not be wasted. We would learn something of your holy and awesome name. That we would see your hands strong. We would learn of the scepter that you will one day rule, the justice you will one day bring, the redemption, the great works that you have accomplished in the past. All of it, Lord. We want to delight in it. We want to study it, immerse ourselves in it, Lord. We pray that this would be our, our prayer for this church, that you would take us deeper into these things, Lord God. I pray now for all of us here that we would go out dwelling on these things, that they would be with us in our hearts and in our minds for the rest of the week until we gather together again. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You've been listening to Theology and Apologetics. This podcast is supported by your generous donations. To help us continue to bring you great content, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash theologyandapologetics. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please leave us a review and remember to connect with us on social media. For more resources, please go to theologyandapologetics.com. Thanks for listening.